You are listening to the Bellator Christi podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking of the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and this is your host for our time together today, yours truly, Brian Chilton. Uh, we do want to remind you that the Bellator Christie Podcast is brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Uh, we do encourage you to go to the website. And uh, while there, subscribe. Uh, we, we do ask that you consider to subscribe to the website. It's absolutely free. And by doing so, you'll receive all the articles as well as links to the podcasts as they become available. Uh, so we do encourage you to do that. Uh, go by and do that. We do try to, I do try to post at least one article a week. Uh, depending on the schedule, sometimes there more, there's more than one. Uh, I'm still getting used to the new website and uh, trying to get used to everything, how it works and all. And so uh, it's, it's a wonderful website. I thank the Lord for the opportunity to join up with uh, Bluehost. Uh, they're, they're a wonderful website uh, organization so uh, that allows not only for the website uh, through WordPress, which WordPress is an amazing tool as well for pot, uh, for blogging. Uh, so, uh, but but that together, along with Bluehost, allows uh, me the capability of posting these podcasts, and without the um, uh, without the the worry of interruption from a third party. Of such, of course, we were there for a long time on uh, Blog Talk Radio, and and do think uh, think uh, do appreciate Blog Talk Radio. Wonderful, uh, they have a wonderful ability to uh, to podcast as well. Uh, but anyhow, uh, <laughs> ran a bit of a rabbit there. I've been been uh, guilty of that quite a bit here lately, uh, the past couple of weeks. I also want to let you know about uh, be on the lookout for a recent. Uh, interview that I uh, had with uh, my good friend Michael Bohm from Loveland, Colorado. He runs a podcast called Youth Training Apologetics, uh, or Youth Apologetics Training. I said that backwards. 
uh, my dyslexia is kicking in a little bit this afternoon. But anyhow, uh, he, he has uh, he has that wonderful uh, podcast. So I joined him as uh, we were talking about the uh, evidence for the New Testament, the, the reliability of the historicity of the New Testament. So go check that out at Youth Apologetics Training or youth, yeah, yeah, uh, with Michael Bohm. So you can check that out. I think they're on Sermon Audio. Uh, com if I'm not greatly mistaken, so uh, do go by and check that out. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on and uh, in the world today. I do want to give you, um, uh, not to, to try to depress you from the outset. Oh, by the way, let me just say, you can catch the podcast uh, also on, uh, you can take it with you. Uh, we're on uh, iTunes. Tune in, Stitcher, as well as Google Play. Go check us out there. Subscribe, and you can take us with you on the go. And maybe there's something on one of these podcasts that uh, blesses your heart that you find useful, and maybe you want to share uh, with someone who is uh, skeptical in the faith and uh, a means of sharing your faith with them. And hopefully uh, we'll offer you some tools on this podcast. Coming up next week, I want to let you know about this. We've got a, a couple of wonderful interviews coming up. Amy Downey, uh, who is a Jewish Christian, uh, she is also the first ever female graduate from the PhD program at Liberty University in uh, Theology and Apologetics. Uh, she's going to be on with us next week, God willing, if nothing doesn't happen. Uh, we're planning on interviewing her uh, next week. And then uh, uh, Adam Harwood, uh, who is a professor at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, he'll be with us uh, on, on later in the month. So looking forward to that podcast as well. Uh, not to try to um, to continue the thought that I had previously, not to try to do to, uh uh, discourage you or upset you, but I say this merely as a means of, uh, of uh, great concern. And, and we as Christians, as praying people, need to gather together and pray for the status of the world. Uh, there are some very serious issues taking place in the world today and uh, could lead to, uh, unfortunately, some, some nuclear, um, <laughs> nuclear, nuclear problems uh, as far as war goes. Uh, obviously, uh, the United States and North Korea are are their uh, relations have severely broken down, and so I want to give you a report. I'm recording this Friday on August the 11th, and this these these uh, podcasts air on the third on the every Sunday. So this is airing on the 13th. It's being recorded from the 11th. So things can change over the over the. Uh, uh, time from from the recording of this podcast to the airing uh, or publication of this podcast. So I want to give you the latest update from Fox News on this situation. Uh, so let's let's take a listen to this uh, clip at this time. President Trump has tweeted yet another warning this morning to North Korea, boasting of U.S. capability and preparedness, tweeted about an hour and a half ago, quote, that military solutions are now fully in place, locked and loaded. Should North Korea act unwisely, hopefully Kim Jong-un will find another path. The North Korea military says it's developing a plan to envelop Guam in ballistic missiles. That plan, according to the Korean People's Army, should be finished by the middle of this month. They'll present that to Kim Jong-un and and then he will decide whether to execute it, Bill. Well, Secretary Chillerson is back in the U.S. after his trip. And what is he saying there, Rich? Okay, having problems with technical difficulties with the clip. Um, he has just returned go. from a trip to Asia several days on a diplomatic mission, much of it focused on North Korea and this issue, trying to... 
to get allies and adversaries to cut off North Korea diplomatically and economically. Uh, despite two intercontinental ballistic missile launches since the 4th of July, the State Department contends that this pressure campaign is actually working. State Department officials say that countries that we're close friends with and countries that we're not close friends with are helping to participate in that campaign, and that's because the world recognizes the threat that North Korea faces, not to the United States, but also the world. The State Department also points to sanctions that the UN Security Council passed during last weekend. China and Russia signed on to those sanctions at the UN Security Council, allowing them to pass. And we asked the State Department whether China is doing enough here because it is North Korea's strongest ally. Uh, what they're saying is that China has been improving in its pressure on North Korea, but there's still more it could do. And there was a strong editorial today that's getting a lot of attention. We're going to talk about that coming up here shortly. Thank you. Okay, so I uh, do apologize for the glitches uh, in the, uh, uh, the the link there. I'm not exactly sure what took place, what was going on there. But anyhow, um, needless to say, things are escalating at, at, a, at a very dangerous pace. And uh, we, we certainly want to remember uh, our, our friends in Guam. We certainly want to remember um, many individuals around. In fact, I even heard this past week that we need to remember uh, the folks even in North Korea uh, because there are many, I, I heard a report that there may be as many as 120,000 individuals in North Korean concentration camps. Uh, so th this is a it's a very difficult situation all the way around. So uh, we definitely need to pray uh, for for everyone involved here and pray that uh, God's will would be done. Hopefully, everything hopefully cooler heads will resolve. Uh, but uh, the way things are going right now, uh, it, it's it's not looking, uh, it's not looking very good. So in, anyhow, what we do we need to do as people of God, we need to pray, pray that God's will would be done, and uh, and whatever that may be, uh, He'll work things out for us in the end. So we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then when we come back. I'm going to provide you a very important podcast, a very important uh, message today on seven reasons why I came back to the Christian faith. Uh, I had a time of doubt. Uh, I, I actually tampered with agnosticism for a while uh, back in the early 2000s, from 2000 to 2007, uh, about 2000, 2005. And so I came back to a strong faith, and I want to tell you exactly the reasons why I did just that. Seven reasons why I came back to the Christian faith. You're listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. We'll see you back right after this quick commercial break. When I first wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict, truth wasn't so much an issue as what is truth, can you know truth, but now it is. Some of the issues are different because of the internet, like the claim that Jesus doesn't even exist. Are there other gospels that should have been in the Bible? Is Christianity just a copycat religion? So when we updated this, because I hear it from students so often, I thought we have to have the single best chapter that responds to this claim, and I think we do. We had to rewrite Evidence Demands a Verdict because there's so much new evidence out there. It's like one Greek scholar said, the evidence now for the scriptures is like a tsunami, an avalanche that is hitting, and we want you to be aware of that. We want every young person, every student, every pastor, every professor, to be aware 
of the new evidence out there to understand not just what they believe, but why they believe it. Evidence that demands a verdict. On sale everywhere October 3rd, 2017. Go to hashtag true evidence. for people from all around this great nation who believe this is a great nation. We're looking for the best and the brightest and people who believe in goodness and honesty and liberty. If we've just described you, enroll in Liberty University. Online, we've been doing it as long as anyone. Our campus, just beautiful. If you believe in liberty, know that liberty believes in you. Liberty University online or on campus. To find out more, go to liberty.edu or call 855-466-9220. Hi, Greg Kokel here for Stand to Reason. And at SCR, we have always cared about Christianity worth thinking about. And when I found out that the SES conference this year was about pursuing a faith that thinks... I realize that if you go to this conference, you're not only going to have the information you need to deal with people who challenge your convictions, you're going to have the information that will help you deal with the toughest critic you'll ever face, and that's you. That's why I hope to see you there at the SES conference, October 13th and 14th in Charlotte, pursuing a faith that thinks. Register now for the National Conference on Christian Apologetics by going to conference.ses.edu. Early bird pricing ends August 1st, so be sure to go and register now. Once again, that's conference.ses.edu. The National Conference on Christian Apologetics 2017, October 13th and 14th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, pursuing a faith that thinks. All right, back on the Bellator Christie podcast. If you're going to be in the Charlotte area uh, come October 13th and 14th, I do encourage you uh, to go check out the National Conference on Christian Apologetics. Uh, I was planning to go myself. I don't know. I may have a little bit of a scheduling conflict uh, coming up this year, but uh, go check it out. I'm, I'm going to tell you what. This is a wonderful conference. I do encourage you to highly check it out. It, it's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful from top to bottom. If, if you leave that conference without getting some knowledge in the realm of Christian apologetics, it's because you just simply weren't listening. It's the same thing they say uh, when we have a, a church gathering, uh, a buffet meal. If, 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 you're, if you leave hungry, it's your own fault. And, and that's the same, the same holds true for this conference. Uh, if you leave there without being fed... Uh, in the realm of apologetics, you just you just really weren't listening. I also want to let you know about another thing that wasn't mentioned on the uh, commercial break, and that is the brand new apologetic study Bible uh, uh, with the, in, in the translation of the Christian Standard Bible. Of course, you know there was a change, there was an update to the Holman Christian Standard Bible to the Christian Standard Bible, and in my opinion, the CSB is is even greater uh, than the HCSB. I, I was you know, I, I I really there were some things about the HCSB that I wasn't uh, about which I 
which really kind of bugged me, um, you know, in, in some areas. But those things were fixed in the CSB. This is this is a wonderful translation, folks, and I think that uh, uh, I, I think you'll really like it if you try it out. So uh, the, the the home the Christian Standard Bible, the uh, updated Apologetic Study Bible, is out now in bookstores everywhere. Go check it out. Uh, and compared to many study Bibles, it's really not it's really reasonable in price. About twenty dollars. I think is what it was. So um, go check that out. Uh, speaking of books, here recently, uh, if you are in the realm of apologetics and theology, the name of Justin Brierly uh, is one that you should know. Uh, it would be nice to have him on the podcast. I don't know that we'll be able to work that out or not, but uh, Justin Brierly, he is the host of uh, the, the premier uh, from Premier Christian Radio in, in the United Kingdom. Uh, of a podcast called Unbelievable. And what he does is he has spent a lot of time not only uh, interviewing Christians, but he'll also interview many atheists. He, he gets the other side of, of the story. And I think, there's a, I think there's a real need for that because he draws in an audience both of Christians and non-Christians. Now for me, um, I think it's important to hear the other side, and I think it's important that we... we uh, understand the case that's being presented, but I think it's also very important that we use apologetics as a means of, of um, uh, uh, strengthening our case, uh, hearing, you know, and, and in doing so, we do need to hear the other side, and I'm not knocking that at all. I don't mean to sound like I am, but, but uh, that's the reason my apologetics uh, podcast is designed in the way it is. Craig, Greg Kokel said something similar about Stand to Reason uh, in the podcast he has there. But anyhow, uh, not meaning to get off that, but, but Justin Briley has interviewed uh, many atheists and agnostics for, for several years, and he has written a book uh, entitled, Why After Ten Years of Talking with Atheists, I'm Still a Christian. And in this book, he, he provides reasons for why he has remained a Christian despite the different um, the different uh, arguments that he's heard for the other side. Now, Sean McDowell recently uh, he conducted an interview with uh, Justin Briarly, and he said that you can really kind of gather and group together the arguments, uh, which most of the good arguments against Christianity are really quite ancient. Uh, the more modern ones, not so much, but uh, you can really group them into different categories, and I think that's that's important. But I thought as I was as I was uh, hearing about this book, that I would provide for you some reasons why I came back to the Christian faith. Uh, some of you may not know, but uh, my whole introduction into apologetics was while I was out of the ministry for seven years. And it all began uh, back in, um, well, whenever I was in Bible college, I was, I was in Bible college and, and um, I... Um, spoke with a, 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 a very influential person, a, very, a Christian leader, and I was struggling because I had come across, in high school, I had come across this book uh, called The Five Gospels, written by the Jesus Seminar. And, and they were saying in this, this is, the Jesus Seminar is a, is a group of individuals, uh, scholars, if you will, who said that we could not trust the things that the New Testament tells us about the sayings and deeds of Jesus. They were really emphasizing more uh, they, they placed more emphasis on the uh, teachings of Jesus than necessarily anything else. And so I, I asked this individual, how is it that I can know that the Bible is true? And he said, well, it's because it's the Word of God. 
And I said, well, then I asked, I said, well, why, how do I know it's the Word of God? And he says, well, because the Bi- it's the Bible. And I said, well, how do I know <laughs> exclusively that the Bible is the Word of God and that it's true? And then he said, well, it's because it says so. And and, and argumentation, that's, that's an argument, uh, it's a fallacy known as circular reasoning. And it didn't work for me then and it doesn't work for me now. I had to know that what that book is saying, that the 66 books containing in this library of, of books uh, called the Bible, that it what it was saying was based on truth in, as it happened in reality. Because if it did not, then I need to go a different route in my faith. And I'm certainly not going to stand up, as I was, was preaching at that time, I was certainly not going to stand up telling people, you need to come to know Jesus, you need to believe in this stuff, if, if I couldn't know that it was beyond a reasonable doubt true. I'm not going to say that we can have 100% certainty on anything in life, but that, uh, uh, but that we, we do have, um, we, we do have um, um, reasons to believe that it is true. I mean, there are reasons why I believe that there aren't pink elephants flying around my head right now because there aren't. I can look up and see that they're not there. So it's 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 very it's delusional for me to think that there are pink elephants floating around my head when they're not. I have no reason for believing that there, that there are. Uh, but but I do. There are good reasons for believing that Christianity is true. And so I want to give you my top seven reasons for why I came back to the Christian faith. These are some issues. There are, there are others. And in fact, I hope to write a book one of these days. In fact, I've started a book. I, I've uh, gotten uh, a chapter or two finished, <laughs> kind of, and then you kind of fell by the wayside. So hopefully, maybe I'll pick that back up and in the years to come and finish that out at some point. But I want to give you the top seven reasons. These are seven of the most powerful things uh, that I found that led me back to a, Christ, a strong Christian faith, and led me actually. Uh, because of that, that springboarded into other areas where God would use that to bring me back in the ministry. Uh, and so the Bellator Christie podcast is a result of my experience reading The Evidence Demands a Verdict, which they're relaunching that. In fact, they're looking for people to be part of the launch team. If you're interested, uh, go check out my Facebook page, and I have some information there on that very thing. But uh, Evidence Demands a Verdict, uh, Lee Strobel's A Case for Christ, many other things uh, served as um, uh, springboards launching me in this avenue of apologetics. And it was from that that I learned of individuals like William Lane Craig, Gary Habermas, and, and, and many others. So these are the seven, top seven reasons, the top seven arguments that led me back to a strong Christian faith. And number seven, it's, uh, and, and this is going to sound odd. This is going to sound like probably one of the more odd arguments. Uh, but that's the argument for Jesus' tenacity, his historical tenacity. I, you know, I do think that uh, there's a lot of strong evidence for the historicity of Jesus of Nazareth. Obviously, there is. And I think as we do these quests to find Jesus, uh, who he was as he was on earth, one thing that came out often through, through all of these studies, even from the most liberal skeptics, was that this Jesus of Nazareth was a very tenacious individual? He he was an individual who stood up for what he for for what he believed. Uh, he he uh, and he and he didn't back down. 
He was very tenacious. And he stressed morality. He stressed compassion. He stressed two great things, loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor, which is your fellow man, each and every person you come across in a loving manner. Now, this is important because the way Jesus operated in his historicity and the way he conducted himself is important because one of the things that bothered me to no end was that I I had seen a lot of Christians who claimed to be Christians who acted in horrible fashions. And this still bugs me to this day. It still bugs me to no end for someone to say, hey, I'm a Christian, but I can live any old way I want to live and and still think that I'm okay with God. That that gives a bad example for what Christianity is all about. It bothers me then and it bothers me now. And I'll be the first to tell you that. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith. But if that grace through faith does not produce works, does not produce genuine genuine transformation, then that faith was not genuine after all. Okay? So, so if that faith, if that faith and trust, the grace through faith, did not produce a transformation in a person's heart, it did not change that person, then that faith is really not there. Because Jesus transformed every person that he encountered. And I, I had seen that while there were individuals in, in the Christian in the church that acted and behaved badly, that they did not represent, they did not truly represent this, the teachings and deeds of Jesus. In fact, he, he actually preached the hardest to those who abused religion the most. And so that's something important. So the historicity of Jesus and Jesus' tenacity was something that captivated me and, and helped me to understand that just because, hey, I had encountered some, uh, some, 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 some Christians who had behaved in an unchristian manner, but that doesn't mean that that's what Jesus promoted. In fact, they were not living in accordance with the life and message of Jesus himself. So Jesus' tenacity and his historicity was number seven. Uh, number six is the moral argument as well. Uh, the, the moral argument is very important because it, it, it came to me, and, and I really didn't, I, I understood the, 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 the brass tacks of the matter, I understood the bottom line, but the more I've grown in my Christian faith, the more I've grown, the more I've developed an understanding, a greater understanding of this argument. And that is that, that um, for us to claim that anything is right or wrong, there must be a moral lawgiver, okay? You know, we, we really have no grounds whatsoever. If we think that society is what, you know, uh, promotes morality, then we lose a basis for condemning the Nazis for doing what they did because, it, because their society dictated what they should do. Now, we all know that that was wrong. It was wrong what they did. It was wrong how they treated those individuals. It's wrong for any nation, wherever they may be, to put people in concentration camps and kill them. We know that's wrong. Even though that society dictated that that was okay and appropriate to do, we know that that is wrong. Why? Because we have an internal moral code. And I've seen this happen for many individuals. It's, it's really self-refuting. If you hold to an atheist concept that there is no God, that there, that there is no transcendent truth, then the very moment you claim that someone did something to you that was not right, you have to backtrack because you're saying that there must be a morality that transcends that person and transcends 
nonsense you because you know that not to be right. It's funny to me that those who argue the hardest against Christianity are those who, who talk about morality the most and, and really, ironically, you have no basis to hold any type of morality without God because God, there must be a moral lawgiver and that uh, lawgiver is, of course, God. Number five was a teleological argument. Now, I dabbled in, in, in agnosticism, okay, but I never became an atheist but because, I mean, I had a general understanding of some of these things, but it really never made sense to me that atheism could be true. I felt that there had to be at least some type of, a, of eternal consciousness, a higher power, if you will, out there. Now, whether that was the Christian God or not, I didn't know at that time. So I was kind of more into some type of a pantheism or even a uh, or panentheism or even type of agnosticism where I just didn't know, just didn't know what was out there, just didn't know. But the teleological argument is quite interesting. We're talking here about the design argument, the, the argument that the universe is designed. And it's funny because today that there's this popular notion of a multiverse. And I'm not against a multiverse. In fact, I do think that there is a state of existence beyond the state of this mere mortal uh, universe that we have here, whether it be another dimension, a spiritual dimension, or, or whether that be a another physical universe beyond this one. I know not, but I do know that uh, Paul talks about there being a third heaven in one of his letters to the Corinthian church. So I think there must be, at, some, at least to some degree, some type of state of existence beyond the scope of the universe as it as it is as we know it. Uh, but here's the thing: you can't you can't really necessarily you can have the mathematics to prove, but scientifically you cannot observe anything beyond the scope of this universe, at least with the instrumentation that we have right now. So the design argument I think is very compelling, and it's also interesting to note that uh, even if there were to be a multiverse, the multiverse itself would have to have elements of design as it would have to be designed a certain way to produce these other universes uh, from whence the universes came according to certain philosophy. So it makes no sense. I mean, these the ideas that the universe just is, that it, it brought itself into existence, it's just really, any thinking person who doesn't have an agenda, I think if, if you really think that thing through, you're going to know that that's just not tenable. It's, it's, not, it's not a valid argument whatsoever. Number four, that brings us to the cosmological evidence. And I was really compelled by William Lane Craig's Kalam cosmological argument. Very simple and very deceptive in how... This deceptively simple is what I mean to say, but very profound in what it says. And that's just to simply say three points. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Everything that comes into existence has a cause for the reason that it came into existence. Number two, the universe had a cause. Number three, uh, uh, therefore the... Uh, uh, sorry, let me start over. <laughs> everything, that that, everything that begins to exist... Uh, has a cause. The universe came into existence or began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. And so uh, deceptively simple but very profound in what it says. And we do know that the universe came into existence at a certain point in time. Now, uh, how that came to be, e even if you hold it to be a multiverse, there must be 
a reason for the multiverse. You've done nothing but push or punt the ball down the field one step or two. So, in the end, I think the cosmological evidence is quite strong that there was a beginning, and that beginning is only answerable to God. And that really goes into the number, the third argument that led me back to the Christian faith. And that's the, and that is, that now some people don't like to talk about the ontological argument. And obviously, there are some ontological arguments that uh, are not as valid as others. I'll be the first to admit that. But, and I'm not even necessarily talking about Anselm, Anselm's argument, Anselm of Canterbury's argument. But I'm talking about, and even you may, and this may even need to be reworded, but the, the ontological necessity of God's existence. And this is something that has stuck with me for years. It really. You, you come down to two premises. Either the universe, I mean, there, there has to be a reason for this universe and for everything to exist. There, there has to be a reason for it. There has to be a reason for it. And either it's, either it's answerable because there is a universal nothingness that brought somethingness into being, and by logically thinking that out, that can't be. The only other option out there is that an eternal, living, conscious God brought the universe into a being. So we here we talk a little bit about philosophy, and, I, and this is something that I had always known, but had come to really appreciate later in my studies. The, the issue of, uh, of, of necessity and contingency. A necessary being is, is, uh, is a being that must exist because of an, of a, of an effect that came from its being. Now, you know that I exist because you're hearing the effect of my voice on this podcast. So I absolutely have to exist because there has to be a reason why you're listening to the, uh, this, this person with a southern drawl coming to you uh, on this podcast. And the answer is because there is a me sitting here in front of this microphone speaking to you these truths and these, and these ideas. And you, as a listener, you must exist because you're here listening to it. Okay, so so I am a necessary being because of the contingency of this podcast. Now, a contingency, a contingent being, or a contingent thing, is something that that exists only because something else brought it into being. And I think a good example of this is the whole uh, thought. If you if you do a little thought experiment about parents and kids. I uh, my son, you know, my son exists because it's absolutely necessary that he have two biological parents, and that being myself and his mother. Now, so I am necessary because of of his contingent being. He is contingent upon our existence. Okay. Now, on the flip side, I am contingent. I am only here because of the necessity of my mother and father's existence my biological mother and father who are my parents my guardians or my guardians were my guardians as well so they have to exist because i'm here i mean there, there's no other reason for me being here than than that they were here okay as well so you take that back far enough you have the absolute necessity of god's existence there has to be a, a moral, intelligent, conscious, eternal power known as God. Okay, so he is absolutely necessary. And I think that's the only answer that fits. Even in my status of agnosticism, I still held that there was a God. I just didn't know 
how you'd come to know them. I, I didn't know what religion would be appropriate. Uh, I didn't know that there was any way that you could know who that God was or that there was any way that you could know how to reach that God, okay, or, or how to know which religion was true, okay. So I was kind of more of a theistic agnostic, uh, a theistic leaning agnostic, maybe even in the area of a panentheist as well. Now, all of these arguments thus far, uh, with the exception of seven, you know, you, you could admire Jesus' historicity, his tenacity. You, you, could, you can believe in God already, but what were the two main arguments that led me back to Christianity? Okay, what were those things that led me back to a Christian faith? Number two, th- th- these, two are, these, these are the two reasons why. Number two, the reliability of the New Testament. And this was big. When I was reading Josh McDowell's book, and I've been reading through, I'm on the launch team for this updated edition for Josh and Sean McDowell's Evidence Demands a Verdict. It's a new take. It's got 60% of the book is new. Only 40% is, is, is in the old. So this is, a, is going to be a completely different book by the time it's all said and done. But as I was reading the information for the first time from Evidence that Demands a Verdict, the older version, and I was amazed at the amount of evidence for the reliability of the New Testament. For instance, early complete manuscripts. We have five major codices. A codex was a bound book. We have five major codices that, that the earliest of which, of which date to around 325 A.D., that's only, um, what, 33, um, 300 years from the time of Jesus' resurrection, or crucifixion and resurrection, or less than that, actually. And, and that you may say, well, 300 years, that's a long time, but historically speaking, when you compare this to other texts, that's not really that long. And, and uh, J. Warner Wallace has done an great, excellent job in his book, Cold Case Christianity, to show that there was a chain of command that linked from certain apostles all the way to, to the time of these major codices. So you have the Sinaiticus, dating to 325 A.D., which contains all of the New Testament. You have the Codex Alexandricus. Uh, the, the, the Sinaiticus is often represented by the Hebrew Aleph, uh, the Alexandricus is represented by the uh, our letter A, uh, which date, uh, the Alexandricus dates to the fifth century, which would be in the 400s A.D. Uh, contains all the New Testament. The Codex Vaticanus, uh, which is noted by a B, uh, it was it dates around 325 A.D. contains all of the New Testament except for Revelation. Uh, the Codex Ephraimi, uh, noted by the letter C, uh, dates to the 5th century, contains all the New Testament except for the pastoral epistles. And then the Codex Bizet, uh, represented by the, the capital letter D and the small superscript letters EA, uh, also dates to the 5th century, contains the Gospels and Acts only. But you also have uh, very early documentation, quotations, over 86,000 quotations from the earliest church fathers. In fact, by the time you count all the early church fathers, you have more than a million quotations, so much that uh, many scholars have noted that the entire New Testament can be reconstructed from just the quotations alone. How incredible is that? So so very early documentation. You also have uh, manuscripts that uh, that date to within 50 years 
In fact, uh, the, the um, there's there's a fragment, the John Rylus uh, papyrus fragment, which uh, contains a portion of the Gospel of John. We can cross check that, and uh, that dates to uh, within uh, within thirty years of the time that got the Gospel of Matthew was completed. I mean, this is early, early stuff. And so you you see this, and that you can cross reference these this these things, and and know that we have an accurate text. Um, I mean, I'm looking on uh, on uh, Dan Wallace's website, the Center for the Study of New Testament Manuscripts, and I'm looking through this, and already, I mean, you can you can do a study, a search of these different manuscripts that they've did that they have digitalized. Uh, and our, our, you know, looking here at P forty-five uh, papyrus fragment from the third century, third-century uh, manuscript of the Gospels on papyrus, thirty leaves, single column, approximately thirty-two to thirty-three lines per column, uh, from the Chester Beatty collection in Vienna. Uh, papyrus from se- the second to the third century, the late second century or early third century, around two hundred A.D. Manuscript of Paul on papyrus, eighty-six leaves. Uh, another papyrus uh, fragment from the second to third century, uh, manuscript of of uh, Paul on papyrus. Uh, in the third century, you have uh, manuscript of the Gospels on papyrus P twenty two, two fragments. Uh, P twenty three, uh, third century manuscript of the uh, Apostolus on papyrus. Uh, and then the fourth century manuscript of Revelation on papyrus. I mean, you, you go through this and you see third century P twenty two. You know, you go through this and you look P nineteen fourth and fifth century manuscript of the Gospels on papyrus. I mean, so on and so forth. All this just just shows us the numerous documents that we have that confirm uh, what the New Testament tells us. So uh, you know, we have over twenty four thousand manuscripts. For heaven's sakes, you have enemy attestation. You have you have Romans who are uh, verifying certain things about the life of Jesus, uh, archaeological verification, and so much more goes into the argument for the reliability of the New Testament. And the number one reason I came back to the Christian faith, outside uh, talking just merely about the arguments at hand, the number one reason is the wealth of evidence we have. For the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is absolutely unbelievable how much evidence exists for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have early eyewitness testimony, even found even in uh, certain creeds and formulations, hymns, you know, certain things found in the uh, throughout the New Testament that show us that uh, that date to within three to five, within two to five years of Jesus's own crucifixion and resurrection. One being First Corinthians fifteen three through seven, uh, mul- you know, early eyewitness testimony, multiple eyewitnesses, enemy attestation. Uh, you even have uh, Jewish historians, uh, Roman historians, who verify that Jesus was appeared to have been seen alive by the disciples. Embarrassing d- details pertaining in the Gospels, as well as psychological evidence. No one is going to die for something they know to have been a concocted story. That just doesn't happen. You know, if if you believe that 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 can happen, then you must not believe in in uh, in the tactics of the police force. Whenever they conv- they they catch someone and they put the pressure on that person, they're, they're going to try to see whether that person that person their story holds or not. 
You know, because if someone's threatened to be in trouble, then obviously uh, their their story will be changed. You know, uh, uh, that their story might change or something of that nature. But anyhow, all of this together, all of this together, and, and builds a cumulative case showing the fact that Christianity is true. It's a true worldview. It's a true religion. It's a true worldview. It's not based upon wishful thinking. It is based upon a reality. The reality that Jesus of Nazareth really did on that first Easter Sunday, he really did walk out of that tomb and walk out victorious. And beloved, I want to tell you something. That is something worth celebrating. That is something worth celebrating. It is so good to know that we have the truth in Jesus Christ. And so, again, we want to thank you for stepping into the arena with us here on the Bellator Christie Podcast. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. This has been Brian Chilton, and we'll see you back next time when we step into the arena of ideas. expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas.